tapped into the mind of God, it was because God has given us revelation. It's been coming this way, didn't it? What's going that way? It's what's coming this way. Amen. Except prayer. That's what needs to be going up. Amen. Prayer. And we are learning in the Word of God that there's nothing that can unfold in this world that we, with the help of God, cannot um, endure. That's a word. Endure. And also, with the help of God, have an effect on it. Does that make sense? I mean, if God is wanting the church to return to a living godly lives, holy lives, and repenting of our sins and turning from our evil ways, well, we've got a part in that, don't we? We just need to obey him. Isn't that, isn't that correct? I can't stand here and tell you today that the worst of it's over with. Matter of fact, I couldn't do that because I know in my heart I'm not supposed in my heart I'm not supposed to say that. I mean, you know, we need to obey God. But you need to be reminded today that no matter what you see, what you hear, what unfolds around you, God's going to see you through it. Amen. And your prayers will have an effect on it. Amen. Now, I will tell you. You see the title of the message today, Amazing Jesus. The first thing people think is, yeah, Jesus is, a, Jesus is as amazing as it gets, right? But that's not what that title means. That title means Amazing Jesus. How many of you like to do something today that would amaze Jesus? All right, let me rephrase that. How many of you today would like to do something really good that would amaze Jesus? I'll raise my hand. Because there's two examples in the Bible of people amazing Christ. And one of them was good and one of them was very, very bad. You can amaze Jesus on either end of the spectrum. Does that make sense to you? I'm going to prove it to you in the Word of God. Now, amazing Jesus, title. Introduction, I have five intelligent, talented, and beautiful granddaughters, and I'm privileged to have three of them in the building today. If the baby showed up, I didn't see the baby. Anybody seen the baby today? Okay, maybe the baby's not here today. So, as I was saying, I have five intelligent and talented, beautiful granddaughters, and I'm privileged to have two of them in the building today. However, I have only one grandson, so you can imagine how that adds to his uniqueness, to say the least. One of the things that stands out in my memory of him growing up was that at a young age, he loved to do card tricks and little magic tricks to entertain the people in the sphere of his influence. And from the time he was a very, very small child, Asa would say these three words, prepare to be amazed. He'd say, prepare to be amazed. A little bitty guy that couldn't hardly talk could say, prepare to be amazed. And he intended to amaze you. He intended to entertain you. That was Asa. His trademark opening comment was always the same, prepare to be amazed. You really have to use your imagination to catch the flavor of his introduction because he said it with a great deal of enthusiasm. After all, how would it have gone over if he shouted, prepare not to be amazed? It wouldn't be the same, would it? We have a few examples of Jesus being amazed that are very important for us to examine if we're going to influence this world with our prayers and our faith in these perilous times. Let's start this message today by looking at three biblical accounts of people that literally amazed 
Jesus. Some of you are sitting there thinking, if you haven't read those passages of Scripture before, you're not familiar with them, you think, well, how in the world can you amaze Jesus? You can't surprise him, can you? But yet the Word of God says that Jesus can be amazed. So how about if the Word of God says that Jesus can be amazed, we believe him. Amen? Is this thing still working? All right. You're with me? Good, good. You know, little children, when they're in church, they whisper under their breath, they think. But you can hear them, right? One day in church, we prayed just before uh, we preached, and, and the little five-year-old son reached up to his mama's ear and said loud enough for the whole congregation to hear it. One more prayer, mama, and we're going home. <laughs> One time I said, this is going to be a short message, and I heard a little voice say, we'll be the judge of that. <laughs> He'll, he'll say that. He'd say that. Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. You've got to see these stories for yourself. Please, if you have access to a Bible, I don't care if it's on your phone or it's in your hand or it's bound in leather or whatever it is, look up Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It says in verse 1, He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. So who are we talking about? Jesus, I like that. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. That's what the world does. They take offense at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And verse 6 is where the rubber meets the road. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And there are lots of versions of the Bible out there that use the words. And Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus was amazed at the lack of the faith of the people where he grew up. Where he learned from his father about carpentry and all these other things. And he was there with his brothers, he was there with his sisters, and these people knew him, and because of it, they doubted his divinity. They doubted his power. And that shouldn't amaze us because a whole bunch of people in this world don't have any faith in God. So that's one way to amaze Jesus. I want to I get away from that. So our first example today is of people that amaze Jesus with their lack of faith. Do we have to dwell here for very long? After all, I don't believe that we need much coaching on how to effectively pull this one off. Amen? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. 
He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Stop right there for a minute. One of the most powerful things that Jesus has done here is think of that woman being like an onion. And you look from the outside and the disciples saw nothing. Jesus didn't say anything at first for a reason. He waited until she had pestered his disciples so much that they came to him and asked him. They begged him, do something about this woman. She's driving us nuts. Right? Jesus begins to peel the onion. To get down to the core of what's on the inside. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. How cruel is that? That Jesus looks at a woman whose request is for her daughter to be set free from demon uh, oppression or possession, whatever it is, and the maladies of her body. And Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You have to dig around in the versions, but you get, you get the quick understanding that he said, O woman, your faith is amazing. Your faith is amazing. Folks, I'm telling you, to live in the last days, your faith is going to need to be amazing. It will not stand in that hour if it is not amazing. This is the dividing line that God is drawing in the last days between the world and the church. You know what? If you, you're sitting there today and you're thinking about your life, you're going, hmm, well, I wonder... You know what all about my life is not lined up with the Word of God. Guess what? It's time to get in the Word of God. Amen? And where you see the areas that are not lined up of your life through the Word of God, it's time to talk to God about it. Because the hour is late, and you're going to need help. Amen? You're going to need help. We're all going to need help. Amen? For our faith to become amazing to Jesus Christ. Now, there's two stories. One of them, where Jesus was so greatly disappointed, were the people of his chosen nation. They weren't foreigners. They weren't people from a, a different tribe or a different part of the world. No, they were the people that he grew up with, right? And they had a lack of faith that was literally described as amazing. An amazing lack of faith. And then all of a sudden, the next story we read in Matthew chapter 15 is a Canaanite woman. I mean, think about it. How many times God brought judgment on the Canaanites? And if Israel had uh, completely obeyed God, at one point they'd have been wiped out from the face of the earth. 
And now this Canaanite woman, she knows that she knows that she knows that even a crumb from the table of Jesus Christ could heal her daughter and she was tenacious and she would not let go. And when Jesus insulted her and insulted her, she just came back with answers of godly wisdom. Amen. And Jesus made certain that everyone present would see and hear her amazing faith. Can you say amen? The woman knew that even a crumb from the table is all that it would take to heal her daughter. However, the story that gives some meat to chew on that will help us to grow into the kind of faith that we need to see the level of change that must take place in the body of Christ is our focus for today. Turn to your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Let me warn you ahead of time. This is the story of the centurion. This is the story of the centurion. It shows up in two places in the Word of God, once in Luke chapter 7 and once in Matthew chapter 8. Now, Matthew was an eyewitness to what unfolded with the story of the centurion, and Luke was a man that interviewed a whole bunch of people, and he wrote a report on it. Does that make sense? There is a difference between the two stories. And I asked God, I said, but whoa, wait a minute, this seems to be a big difference. And Father said, it doesn't matter. This does not matter. That, I, that part of the story has no bearing on what I'm wanting my children to know. And here's the difference. Matthew talks about it like the centurion was in the presence of Jesus. And Luke talks about it like the centurion was back home and sent people to talk to him. How many of you know that it doesn't have any bearing on the faith that the centurion had? Amen? So with that in mind, let's read the story. Luke chapter 7. Verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he said to him, elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Do you see the relationship there? And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Other versions of the Bible says he was amazed. Jesus was amazed at his faith. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And, and other translations make it clearer. He said, throughout Israel, throughout the entire nation, I have not found this kind of faith and the man was a gentile he was a gentile kind of amazing really so i asked myself this question if the centurion were here today what do you believe he would tell us about what he learned about jesus through this incident i got a few points first point a the centurion would tell us approach him as a source of help, the source of help. Notice that I said, approach him as the source of help. 
In the first three verses, it says this. After he had finished all his sayings, and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. Other, other um, translations say, who was highly loved by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. He sent people to the source. Notice that the point is made by calling Jesus the source of help. In the life of the child of God, there is no other source. What might look like another source in our lives is merely the hand of Father using different avenues to bring us our help. Can you say amen? Have you noticed that at LBC Ministries, at Life Spring Bible Church, we give this congregation plenty of things to do. If you want to be busy, you can be busy. You can do things for God, right? We don't just pray that God will feed the hungry in our city. We take advantage of opportunities to actually put food in the hands of hungry people. It's a small step, but how many times have you heard us say that God works through humble beginnings? Which takes us to our next point, B. I believe the centurion would tell us to focus on the needs of others. How do I know? Verses 4 and 5. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. He loves the Jews. That's what they said, right? For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So, this is a conquering military leader who's been in charge of a certain area. He loves the Jews. He knows they need a new church. Amen? So out of his own finances, out of his knowledge, he built them a new synagogue. He built them a new church. How many of you know the conquering people don't normally do that for the people they have conquered? It's unusual. It's different, right? So focus on the needs of others. Well, there's proof of it. Also, the beginning of the story. He has sent for help not for himself, but for a servant, a lowly servant that he cares for. He's built a synagogue for the Jewish people. He's shown them love. He's shown them care. He has treated them much better than the rest of the conquering military forces treated the nation of Israel. Can you say amen? So he cares for others. Notice that this man has invested his own money and efforts in helping the Jews, the conquered people he oversees, to build the present temple that they worship in. Not only that, he's petitioning the king of the Jews not for a blessing for himself, but a healing for a servant. It's no wonder that the Jewish leaders of the area were so willing, and listen to these words, because this is exactly how God told me to pen this. It's no wonder that the Jewish leaders of the area were so willing to stick their necks out for a Gentile like this centurion, because trust me, it was not physically healthy for this Jewish leadership to brag on a Roman centurion. Do you understand that? But they loved him so much, they just did it without reservation because the effect that this man's life had had on their own. I believe this centurion enjoyed a level of acceptance among the Jewish people that few outside of that nation had enjoyed. He had proven many times over that he cared more for others, no matter what their nationality or race, that he truly cared for them and their needs. Amen? 
Which leads me to my next point. C, he would tell us to reflect a true attitude of humility. Verse 6, and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And then the first part of verse 7 says, therefore I did not presume to come to you. What a beautiful and powerful representation we have in the story of true humility. You might say, well, pastor, how do you know it was genuine and real? Because Jesus clearly laid it out for all of us to see. If Jesus saw any weakness of truth in the centurion's representation of humility, he would have known and he would have called him on it. After all of the wonderful things he had done for the Jewish people, the centurion was aware that he had not earned any favor with Christ and that he still believed he was not worthy for Jesus even to come under his roof. Which leads me to my next point. D. The centurion would tell us to submit to his spiritual authority. Verse 7, part B. But say the word and let my servant be healed. One version says, say the word and my servant will be healed. Say the word. Jesus, say the word. Amen? For I too am a man set under authority, verse 8, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. Because of his own authority over his officers, the centurion understood that Jesus' very words could heal. Jesus' very words could heal. The centurion grasped the understanding of the power Jesus held and knew neither time nor space limited the Son of God. Jesus was amazed by the centurion's faith, and that leads us to our next point. E. God's amazement isn't based on our performance. How many of you can't act this? Can't be acted. The finest actor in Hollywood cannot act and fool Jesus. Amen? Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So let's pause here. Let's consider this. Jesus, who was the amazing one behind the astounding act of creation and every historical event since, finds the centurion's faith amazing. Mm. Why is that? Well, I can, I can point out to you three very important things that we, we better pay attention to. Number one, because the centurion was humble. He was humble. Let's face it. Instead of using his own authority to command Jesus to come, and you understand that he could have done that. He could have tried that. How many of you think that would have floated with Jesus? But the centurion could have ordered the Jews to, to bring Jesus to him. But he knew better than that. That didn't even seem, in the storyline here, didn't even seem to cross his mind, and that's pretty important. Amen? Instead of using his own authority to command Jesus to come, the centurion surrenders to Jesus' greater power and his humility touches Jesus. It touches Jesus. 
Number two, because the request was completely selfless. It was selfless. The centurion didn't come asking for himself or even for a close family member. Instead, he was moved by the suffering of his servant and came to ask for a subordinate's healing. It's powerful. And third, I use two words that really mean the same thing because I want to double up here a little bit. His faith was evidently and apparently. Do you see the two words? His faith was evidently and apparently impressive. Because if you impress Jesus, trust me, it, it, it was impressive. What unfolded was impressive. Because of his own authority over his officers, the centurion understood that Jesus' very words could heal. He grasped the power Jesus held and knew neither time nor space limited the Son of God. And Jesus was amazed by the centurion's faith. Praise God. We preached 20 minutes. It's a new record. Listen to me carefully. And we're going to pray and we're going to go. There's a whole lot that we need to get ready for. It's about to unfold. You know, I wanted to teach on the Holy Spirit and his gifts from the day I walked through the door of this church. But God told me, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. This week, I prayed again, Father, do you want me to teach on the Holy Spirit and his gifts? And he said, not yet. Just wait a little longer. And God's going to cut me loose. And I'm going to teach on the gifts, the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Why? Because we need to be ready for the next great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We need to know what we are looking at when we see it. We're going to need to know how to respond to it when it falls, when it comes. Amen? I'm going to warn you again. For us to be ready for the next great move of the Holy Ghost in the body of Christ, we need time around the altars of God wherever they exist. Whether they're in front of this room and whether they're at home at your dining room table or beside your bed or in your walk-in closet or in your not-so-walk-in closet, I don't care where it is. But we need to spend time around the altars of God in preparation for what the Holy Spirit wants to do next. Now, don't you tell me if it passes you by that I didn't warn you, that I didn't tell you it's coming, and that I didn't tell you to get ready for it. Amen? Now, you say, well, Pastor, you're sounding rather stern. No. These are words of love out of my heart for you that I give you this warning. You need to take this very seriously. You know what? You know why I, I say it that to you so sternly? Do you think for one moment that I want to stand before God in heaven, having fallen short in my responsibilities to tell you what he told me to tell you? You know, it, the Bible says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Do you hear that? It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. So I think it would behoove us to do what it takes to keep him happy. Amen? Give him what he wants. Give God what he wants. Amen? You do not want to stand before God one, in one day in heaven and hear my voice saying, 
give him what he wants when you had an opportunity to do it. Amen? Stand with me this morning. I was reminded of this recently. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, I talk about in the last days being part of a great mighty harvest and been a while since we gave people a chance to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you haven't taken your relationship seriously enough with God and you know it in your heart today, you're one prayer away from getting on the correct path. Amen? And if you'd like me to pray for you today to give your heart and life to Jesus, just put your hand up and right back down. I'm going to pray for you. Your hand up and right back down. Anyone at all? No one's looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. Anyone need prayer today to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? I want to give you an opportunity to do that. All right, who would say, by the uplifted hand, though I know Jesus, but I don't know him as well as I should. I have, I have a relationship with him, but it is not strong. Uh, I, I, I talk to him, but I don't hear anything back. It's not a two-way relationship. I want to go deeper with God. Pastor, will you pray for me? Just put your hand up and right back down. No one's looking around. I just want to pray that, yes, I see that. I just want to pray, yes, yes. I just want to pray that God strengthens us and God draws us closer. If you raise your hand up and put it right back down, you're not alone. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not, trust me, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to do anything to you today that hurts you. All right? One last chance. Anyone that wants to say by the uplifted hand, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be stronger in my relationship with God. Right up and right back down. Yes, 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 yes. I see those hands. All right, now, Father, in Jesus' name, you, you see the hearts and lives of the people represented in this room. Lord, I, I believe with all of my heart that this message has to do today with us uh, ceasing our playing with Christianity ceasing to play with our relationship with you or to treat it lightly or to not have enough care in our lives about what it is you want. We want to give you what you want. Now, Father, at times when you begin to reveal to us things you want that we're not used to hearing you say, it's going to be uh, rather shocking. But, Father, I believe with all of my heart that you will help us, Father, give you what you want. We're going to learn certain things about our life that we didn't know were wrong. We're going to find out they're wrong. And when we find out they're wrong, we're going to need your help to change them, Father. Because the world pulls. You know how all that works, Father. But people need to hear me pray this out loud today for them so they know it when they see it. You're going to reveal things, Father, that we can't fix without you. You're always going to ask us to do things that build our dependence upon you. But, Father, we want to live holy lives. We desire to live lives that are blessing to you, and we want our faith to grow to the point where it is amazing faith because we're going to need it in these last days. Even if the rapture doesn't take place soon, even if Jesus doesn't come to get us uh, before we lay our heads to rest and not wake up in the morning, it's not far off, no matter how you look at it, even if it's 2,000 years away. Father, you're the one that told us on the day the church was born, on the day of Pentecost, that we entered into the church age. Peter quoted Joel where he said, on the day the church age was born, in the last days my spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. 
So from the day that the church was born in the book of Acts, we've been living in the last days and we'll be living in the last days until this age ends. But Father, there, there, we would have to be blind not to see how many signs are out there that you're coming back before long. We need to be ready. Help us, Father, to choose the church and not the world. Even when the world is raging out there. Father, help us to choose your ways. Help us to choose your word. Help us to choose your guidance, your direction, your help, your sweet and powerful and precious Holy Spirit, and to cling tightly to the gift of Jesus Christ in our lives. Grow us, strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. And cause our faith to be magnified, Father. For your glory, we ask these things. Help us be the church, Lord, that the Bible talks about and teaches. A powerful, a powerful church, Father, in Jesus' name. We ask it for your glory, not only for Life Spring Bible Church. That's not what it's about, Father. It's about the body of Christ in this world and the defining line that you're drawing in the sand. Help us to be on the correct side of that line, Father, for your glory. Lord, we're still living day to day to day in a way, so we always like to talk to you about going with us wherever we go and watching over us wherever we're at. As we depart from our, our worship service today and we head for the house, watch over us, keep us safe, and help us to find the Holy Spirit in our homes when we get there. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Fellowship together before you leave here today.